that's my thing, right? It's trying to get in the good creative trouble every day and author, speaker, instigator of inspiration. That's what I've been doing for 16 years. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and storytelling and media and entrepreneurial activities. We're going to touch on all of them today. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, as we get to the end of the semester, welcome back. Thanks, Joe. And I, I, I guess it's time to start saying happy holidays when we see one another. So well, uh, I hope you're getting into the spirit, despite the fact that it's been a tough year. I am into the spirit. And I also, um, it is, for any of our Jewish listeners, we are recording this on the second day of Hanukkah. No, it's nice. It's, it's you know, I think... Uh, as we've talked about, I think in the last show, it's been a, a, a tough year for the business in so many ways, and so and for a lot of individuals, uh, and it continues to be a really brutal year. But at least we're going into the end of it with a, a sense of optimism. The vaccine literally starting this weekend, apparently, uh, and a feeling that maybe the sports business, in terms of participation, excuse me, attendance, will be getting back to some level of normalcy by perhaps summer or fall of mm -hmm. 21. Still a lot of TBDs with that, but I guess most immediately everybody's uh, seem in this business right now seems to be most concerned about getting March Madness done uh, in a couple of months. That's the big well, question that I keep- I think it's going to be May Madness, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. So, so you yeah. think they would actually just try to move it a couple of months? I think, I th I think at some point the ridiculousity is going to kind of like, and you see coaches like Coach K now saying, why don't we just wait? And- there's no reason right now to not wait because there is nothing that is different from playing basketball this year in January than there will be in March. And it's funny when I looked at the list uh, and our guest having spent some time on Hawk Hill with St. Joe's, a school that started and paused, um, the list of schools that have not played a single game is pretty ridiculous. And by the way, the other thing that people have forgotten is there are all these schools, including the Ivy League schools, that paused all their fall sports and said, oh, we're going to play in the spring. So what happened to that whole group? Like, you know, well, there's well, in, the, in the case of the Ivies, that was that right. was canceled. But there's Division Two and One AA football that was, or what is now one used to be One AA football. They said, "Oh, we're just going to play in the spring." I haven't heard a word about any of that. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to go on. So uh, trivia, Tom. We're going to start off with trivia. So can you think of someone who went from being in the military, being an assistant trainer uh, in Philadelphia for a college, who moved on to an NBA team? who suddenly found his way to Nike, wrote several best-selling books, and now is one of the probably more prolific brand storytellers or helping people tell their story in a very unique way. Um, any idea who that could be? I think it might be the guy that's in one of our Zoom boxes right now. Our guest today is Kevin Carroll, who I've known for a long, long time. Like I said, when he was back on Hawk Hill uh, with St. Joseph's University as an assistant trainer. Um, but his unique journey for curiosity and storytelling and inspiration is something that we think uh, Kevin participated in my class this year, uh, something that we think anyone who's listening to this, especially at this time of year, who's trying to figure out what's next, needs to hear the story and figure out how the story continues to grow. So Kevin Carroll, welcome from Portland, Oregon to the, the Cusp Show. Joe Fab, what's happening? It's great to uh, reconnect again. And who would have ever known? I keep telling people, right? The pandemic provides, right? That, that we reconnected because yeah. we actually had to slow down. Yeah. And I really think there's something really you know, amazing about 
power in the pause, that the pandemic created pause. And a lot of things have really been magical and amazing because of that pause. And I actually told my wife the other day that I think I got back because I got back time, I got back creative energy because mm -hmm. I didn't have to use my energy to navigate logistics of traveling to different places for events and speaking. And I got that back. And I think that unlocked, it was an amazing unlock for me from a creativity standpoint and just projects and ideas and different things. So there's been some wonderful things that I think have come out of this. Yeah, there's been a lot of loss, but I think there's been some gains also. Mm -hmm. Nice. I love the attitude, Kevin. Yeah, you're, you're, we're going to get a lot of. I am ready. I'm ready for more. Keep Kevin, going. Joe, so, so don't. Joe, just let Kevin. Just let's just let Kevin talk, please. <laughs> I, listen, so Tom R. I'm trying to tell you, man. I doubled down on positivity and optimism when everything started unraveling. I just I made that conscious decision early March that that's what I was going to do. Wow. And wow. I was going to also offer that to others. So I was going to mm -hmm. model it right? Immerse myself in it, but also share it with as many people as possible and make myself accessible and available from the most mundane thing, literally doing a commencement speech for one child because a, a family friend knew that I had inspiration, right? I was positive. And so this senior from high school was graduating and they were worried about their daughter. And they said, would you, I know it's ridiculous to ask you, ridicularity, right? There's, there's right? But, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but would you do this? And I said, absolutely. And I decided I would be America's guest on whatever. Wow. Make myself available. So oh the fact that you actually use the word optimism in your opening remarks, I wrote it down because I think that's exactly what we need to be leaning into mm -hmm. heading into 2021 for sure. Oh man, I'm ready to sign up for your course. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, but let, let me just go back to that. So, so you made this conscious decision in March when most of us, I think, were in shock for at least a few weeks, if not a few months. What, what did that look like beyond that one example of, and by the way, I love the idea of personalized commencement speeches. Like if we all did that for everybody we knew, that would be a great service uh, to humanity uh, as one small point. But what were the other things, like how, what did that look like in terms of uh, activation of the, yeah, of the idea? I, I think it became really intentional rapidly for me. I just didn't want to wait to find out, oh, well, we're going to be traveling again soon. I just said, you know what? I'm just going to, what is that? Um, expect the best, but plan for the worst. Mm -hmm. So right. I just decided I'm going to plan right away. So mm -hmm. I first converted my, like a basement area in my house into like a little broadcast studio. I FaceTime my production team and I said, so what can I do with lighting in here? And what kind of a mic could I order? And how do I set up a little hot set here? And so <laughs> they helped me with that first. And so that was, I said, I'm gonna have a look right away, good lighting, better audio, right? All those things. And then when I came to my office space, which I can walk to from my house, it's just five blocks from over in Northeast Portland where I've lived here for like 14, 15 years. And I've been in this office space for 11 years now. So I had my production team look at this space and we upgraded everything, connectivity, all of that. So that was immediate. Then I said, well, I've got time. So what could I work on? What could I raise my game on? What could I level up on? And I said, you know what? All these people who've always kind of challenged me about why are you so optimistic and why are you so positive? I said, dude, I'm gonna find some science behind this. So I actually started looking for courses and things and I 
discovered through a friend, Coursera had a, an entire specialization in positive psychology from the University of Penn, Joe. Marty yeah. Seligman, Angela Duckworth were among the professors who offered that. Wow. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna take all five courses over 20 weeks. So I took all five courses, got a specialization in positive psychology. And now I felt even more emboldened to raise my voice because I knew the science behind why I was showing up the way I was. It wasn't just some innate exclusive thing to me. I could actually coach you up on it. And so when you talk about activations, those were just a few of the things. There were a myriad of other things that I did, but those were my main, you know, things right off the jump. What were some of the key principles, if you can summarize, you know, briefly, I know we want to move on to hear a little bit more about your background, the new stuff, but what, what, like, what were the takeaways from those, cor those 20 courses? I don't weeks. hate looking at research anymore because Angela Duckworth <laughs> gave me the cheat code to, to enjoy research and reading research and all that. So that was good. Um, the other thing I think was this idea of values in action, the VIA survey. So you actually can take that. It's free and it's through the University of Penn. And they actually are just continually collecting data on individuals and their values. And so you actually get this really robust um, feedback on your values and they have um, 24 characteristics or values, but they're based on these global values, right? These global character traits. And so they literally did research on what are things that we can find in any culture around the world. And it's really fascinating to see those base things like wisdom, um, introspection, right? I'm just spitballing. These aren't the exact words, but just mm -hmm. imagine they literally did the research to find common values, common character traits, and then it will give you this great feedback. So I really love that. Angela Duckworth actually talked about her grit scale, right? That little quick 10 question uh, qu questionnaire that you can do. She also talks about the fact that the NFL tried to use it they wanted her to actually use it for the combine. And she said, no, because as soon as people figure out you can game it, so you can actually answer in a way that may not be true to you and get a higher score, a higher right. grit scale score, right? So <clears throat> that wouldn't really benefit the teams. So I thought right. that was really interesting. So these are just mm -hmm. a few of the things wow. that were takeaways from wow. it and stuff. So yeah, anybody can take the grit scale if you just go to her website, AngelaDuckworth.com and just look up grit scale. You can do it. It's 10 questions. It takes like three minutes right. to do. And Joe, now we know, now we know we can kind of game it to get a higher score. So that, thank yes. you. that was, that was your, that was yours. You all can redact that, you know, in post, right? You can redact that. That was just, that was my gift to you all. Happy thank Hanukkah. You. Right. Really? Yes. Yeah, so. I'm going to call you back next week, Kevin, and say, gee, I scored a 10 out of 10. What a surprise. Yes, right. Right. Yes. So Joe, there's your, there's your, there's one of your gifts for the second day right there, right? For, for our friends out there for second day of Hanukkah. Here you go. Gift. Done. Nice. Cool. Hey, um, and if, for people who don't know, uh, obviously one of Angela Duckworth's best works is Grit. And, Grit. and you know, we talk about Grit on, on the show all the time. And it's certainly, especially in the world we're in right now, one of the, the, in the most important characteristics, I think, for no matter where it is, just to be able to get through. Yeah, so, and resilience too. I would kind of look at that nuance too. I'm actually going to be interviewing her in January for an event. Awesome. And Joe, you know, related to your point, Joe, I mean, I was thinking about Kevin's um, comments there, and I'm thinking this is all happening juxtaposed against a very ugly world of 2020. Uh, obviously, the public health crisis, the social injustice, 
uh, a really ugly political campaign, like, wow. So it sounds like you were able to kind of tune that out and compartmentalize the good stuff. Uh, as which, much as, 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 much yeah. as possible. And, and yeah. my whole thing was sharing the good news more so mm -hmm. than wallowing in all the upheaval and uncertainty and ambiguity that we were all navigating. Look, we right. knew that was there. Right? right. So you weren't there was no getting away from that. So how can we actually elevate something else, the discourse around something else? So that was my conscious decision daily and modeling for my family, mm -hmm. because I didn't want them to just go down that rabbit hole every single day because it was right. easy to do that. I know. So that I was know. part of the, the intention around it, too. Cool. So um, let's go in the Wayback Machine for a couple of minutes. Uh, Kevin, just give us in you know, 10, 12 minutes the journey because the journey and actually it's interesting the way we just did this because i think the journey will even be more mm. impactful now that you heard kind of the present so yeah yeah it's kind of, i think that's you know sometimes non-linear storytelling right is is mm -hmm. one of the ways to be able to unpack something for people so this was a non-linear kind of a moment here where we're actually looking at the present but let's kind of do that way back yeah. and, very novel and, very novelistic which uh, is the way good not well i mean not, not good novels are written that way they're yes, not absolutely. written in a linear fashion so thank yes, you yes absolutely that. yeah yeah so i think when you look back in my childhood which was filled with addiction and abandonment upheaval and uncertainty dysfunction and disappointment because of my parents both my parents were addicts and they made conscious decision to chase their addiction rather than raise their three sons my father left when i was three never returned in my life my mom left when I was six and she left me and my brothers in a predicament where my grandparents had to rescue us and get us back to Philadelphia from Virginia. And my older brother was eight. I was only six. My little brother was only three. And we were placed on a bus alone, eight, six and three year olds. And all the way back to Philadelphia from Bowling Green, Virginia, which was well over 200 miles back to Philly to the Greyhound Station, downtown Filbert Street in Philly. And my grandparents took us in and basically said, we're going to raise you as best we can, but you boys are going to have to raise yourself. And I remember thinking about that statement from my grandfather, who was being loving in his own way, but very practical. And that was the way he always was. And so at six years old, I'm thinking, what does that even mean? Like, how do I raise myself? So I asked to go to the playground in the neighborhood. And that was the first place that I felt safe and the first place that I felt welcomed. So I leaned into sports, like in a big way but never for trophies, medals, or first place, always for belonging. It was always about being a part of a community because I didn't have a traditional family. So sports became my first amazing connection to teams and people and diversity and all these things and being invited and included. And so I always tried to be really clever to find how do I stay in the game? How do I stay connected? So I was the kid who always had an idea when the sides were uneven. Well, wait, if we do X, Y, or Z, then so, right? So we, ghost runners and all that stuff, man, I was all into that. Like I was quick to say, we can have a ghost player, right? And here's, and then let's negotiate what their traits are, right? So we were literally how fast they are, what they could do, how strong they were. But I was always about extending the play, finding a way to keeping people together because I needed it. Right, so it was selfish in a way, right? But it was also selfless because I wanted people to come together. So that was the first place that I felt like I belonged. And then I got my public library card, took out where the wild things are was the first title that I actually took out. I still remember that. 
And that set me off on my academic journey because I loved that book so much. And I loved the words and the way that it was laid out. And so I leaned into my academics and my teachers noticed that. So I had the public library in school. And so I have the ball, I have books, my love of learning. And then my best friend's mom came into my life and really changed my life. So Ms. Lane, I've always affectionately called her M-I-Z, Ms. Lane, because I really couldn't say Mrs. Lane when I was a kid. Ms. Lane, Ms. Lane, Ms. Lane. She's always been Ms. Lane. Um, she came into my life when I was nine and she changed my life because she was my, what I call today, my CEO, my chief encouragement officer of my dreams. She encouraged me with two words, why not? And would always respond to any of my queries or ideas or ridiculous notions. She'd say, why not? But then she would always follow up with, I'm going to check to see what you do with that. Don't talk about it, be about it. There's lots of talkers and very few doers, Kevin, which one are you? So I learned about action as that secret ingredient to manifesting hopes, dreams, aspirations into reality. So the ball, playing sports, books, love of learning, and then Miss Lane, this encourager, along with all the other people in my community, I found a way to rise above my suffering and circumstances. And social workers would come and check on us, tell my grandparents, I would overhear these conversations, don't expect much from those boys, look what they come from. And I got an attitude, I'll show you, I'll show you, you watch. So my older brother, Donnie's retired Navy, my younger brother, Kyle, IT guy. So they did fine, but my journey is very different than my brother's. And I had this focus at a very early age and I've never deviated from ball, book, and betterment, what I call my three Bs. So because of those three Bs, ball, book, and betterment, I got a bachelor's degree in speech communication and sports medicine. I got a master's degree from St. Joe's University in health education, spent 10 years in the Air Force as a language translator. I speak Serbian, Croatian, Russian, German, and Czech. I dropped Spanish after five minutes in high school. I still tell people, you know, I never forgot that five minutes. Eso sana en casa, no en la cocina, donde esta la sala, no en la cocina. And I walked out of class, dude. I was a bit of a knucklehead too back in the day. So, but languages were this really kind of hidden talent that I had in the military unearthed that for me, got out of the service, was going through a divorce. I was a young dad, military, everything's accelerated in the military. Ended up getting custody of my two sons. Moved back to Philly, high school level. You will know this because you're a lacrosse guy, the Haverford School, Episcopal Academy, big lax schools. And then St. Joe's University, just to kind of clarify, I was the head athletic trainer there, which was unheard of. I had only been out of the military three years. Don DeGiulia, who was the athletic director there, saw something in me before I did. And I think this is what I started to understand when I got older. Certain people showed up in my life who saw in me something before I did, who were peeking around the corner on my behalf and saying, I think you got something special. I'm going to nurture that. Don DeGiulia is one of those people who saw it in me because I literally, Joe, thought I was going to get the assistant job. Like I was planning on that. And then he said, well, we're hiring you as the head athletic trainer. I said, really? I was dumbfounded by it, but I leaned into it. And that's where the Sixers practiced. So when my student athletes were in class, I was helping out the Sixers. That's where Joe and I met. And little did I know that that was going to unfold into getting asked to join the 76ers as their head athletic trainer. And I was the third black trainer in the history of the NBA for my hometown team. And funny thing, people who were asking me for tickets, right? I, I kept them receipts, dude. I was like, who was hating on me back in the day? Who was hating on No. No, no, right? I, oh yeah, I was giving out some no's, dude. Like, oh, uh, remember what you said back in the day? 
yeah. no tickets for you. Yeah. So I was right. with the Sixers for two seasons. But wait, Kevin, who are the big who are the big stars at the top? Was I was going to tell you, Jerry Stackhouse. Wow. Allen Iverson. Those are my two seasons, right? So I was on the bench when Iverson crossed Jordan. So I was on the bench that night. I always do point out we were losing by like 20 when all that happened. So I don't know why people think that was like, I know it was an iconic moment, but I'm looking at the scoreboard like, well, dang, man, we can crushed here. So yeah, and Jerry Stackhouse. And then my Serbian comes in handy because my head coach then, John Lucas, asked me to start insulting Vlade Divac in Serbian in the middle of an NBA basketball game to distract him so he can't stay in the zone because he's in the zone talking trash every time he goes by the bench. So I start insulting this guy in Serbian. And mind you, so wait, so Tom, we had two weeks of obscenities training in the military. I can tell your mama jokes in Serbian to crush your soul, dude. So I start insulting Vlade and Vlade's like dumbfounded every time he goes back, like, where is this coming from? So he walks over to the bench and says, who's insulting my family in Serbian? Coach Lucas points at me and Vlade looks at me like, yeah, right. And I go, Dobrodan, and he's like, what? This black guy speaking fluent Serbian to me, what is happening? So the game ends, he comes to the locker room looking for me, invites me to the 96 Olympic games with the Yugoslavia national basketball team at their sports medicine liaison and translator. He said, I'd never thought I'd meet a you. So NBA inside stuff did a special story about me. Wow. Because were you ever wow. going to see a black guy from Philly speaks fluent Serbian is now working with Yugoslavia national basketball team for the Atlanta games. And someone from Nike saw the story and I got a phone call out of the blue from Nike. And they said, we want to hire you. I said, what to work in the gym. I don't, I don't want to work in your gym. I've left. I'm the head athletic trainer for the 76 in my hometown. Like, why would I leave to go work in your gym? They said, no, that's not our plan. We think you can add value to the company. If you'll take a risk, we'll figure it out together. But we think you can add unique value to our company. Would you be willing to take a risk? So I was a single dad. Both my boys were with me as much as possible. But now I'm traveling with the NBA team. So I have two sitters that I juggle. I come home, A on the refrigerator, trophy on the mantle. I wasn't around. So I sit my boys down and basically say, hey, look, we got this chance. I can be around more. We'd have to move to Portland, Oregon. I'd be working for Nike. I remember my older son said, dad, do we get free gear? I'm like, yeah, he goes, let's go. That was the deal maker. <laughs> so, so we moved out to Portland in 97 after two seasons with the Sixers. And I've been in the Portland area for 23 years. I worked at Nike for seven years. I got to create my own role. And my, my title was Creative Catalyst, Catalyst with a K because of Kevin. And so I basically was an internal consultant within the organization. Wow. I got my directives from the top level executives and I worked all over the company. But what I really was doing was recreating Preston Playground, a place that was inviting and welcoming and inclusive and that everybody had to be in the game. And I was working from shipping and receiving and food service people up to Phil Knight and I having a regular monthly meeting. So I was in internal communications. I was in product design. I was in brand design. You name it, I was involved with it. And mostly because they recognized that I was really good at rallying people, but also being a bridge builder and connecting people to amplify an idea. Hey, Kevin, I'm just curious if you happen to have worked with a guy named Ralph Green. Come on, man. 
I figured I figured that was going to be my man. Answer. I know Ralph real well. Yes, absolutely. Because I got I had the privilege of working with him at the NFL. Because you may know that he was at the NFL yes. before Nike. And as yes. you're talking so far that I've known you, you kind of remind me of him. Yes, we I, have similar energy. Him. We have similar. Yeah, energy. I mean, like just like you know how Ralph talks, and he just always it was a really good, just a really likable guy who just was always like upbeat and kind of energetic and. So anyway, that's really funny. He has very approachable energy, right? Ralph does. Mm -hmm. And never without a camera, right? Always had a camera. Well, this, is, this was pre-cell phone, so I don't remember him being with cameras, but whatever. <laughs> yes, oh, that guy, yes. He's, he's a big photog and everything, and he was, yeah, so I know Ralph very, very well. Very impressive yeah. guy, yeah. Yeah, nice. oh, absolutely, okay. yeah, and he's yeah. doing his own thing now. Like, he retired from Nike and is doing some really exciting stuff. So yeah. I left Nike after seven years, 2004, and I've been on my own for 16 years now, right? What I say, getting in good creative trouble every day, right? That's my thing, right? Is trying to get in the good creative trouble every day and author, speaker, instigator of inspiration. That's what I've been doing for 16 years now. Who, so, who, would typically, yeah. who would typically hire you? Like which, the leader of the organization, like a head of marketing or like, like where do you fit in structurally? I've been, it's been interesting. It's been, it could be that whole gambit of people reaching out to me. It, it's not necessarily any specific strategic, oh, I'm always directing it this way. And inquiries come from all kinds of people and it can be from word of mouth it could be just stumbling upon discovery of me whatever it might be people do a lot of people tell me when they do a search and they put in play I pop up and I'm in the like you know above the fold as far as play experts or play you know people invested in play or uh, inspiration is also another thing so people discover me that way but the organizations, I mean, it's the array is ridiculous, like where I've been working with and who I've been working with from nonprofits to, you know, oh, oh gosh, Forbes 50 companies, right? So still doing a lot of work with Nike, but all the other sports industry organizations, because all my friends have moved on to other places. So they invite me to come in and working within the organizations in lots of different areas. So it could be from community responsibility, community outreach, all the way up to brand campaigns and um, anything around internal work that they might be doing from their cultural standpoint. So it's it, it just depends on what people are asking of me. But I think the key thing that I've been really mindful of is I'm okay with saying no to you if it's not the right thing. If it doesn't fall within my ball book and betterment, which is really broad, then I'm, I have no qualms saying no to you. I'll put you on to somebody else that could probably help you, but I'm not just gonna take it just to take it, right? And, and knowledge up, right? No, I should already be immersed in it so that I can bring value from the jump. That's my attitude about it. And so that's the difference between me being in scarcity versus abundance. So that ability to say no to something, mm -hmm. knowing something else may be coming and making room for that has been my tactic, my strategy throughout this. And so it's really helped me a lot. Kevin, I'd touch on two things. One, um, explain your, your journey as an author. And then you do a lot of mentoring for, you know, you've touched on some of the people, but there's some people now, especially in the last couple of years, that you've been mentoring some really bright stars who are doing a lot of really creative things. Tell us about that whole creative process as well. So the, I fell backwards into the, into the writing of a book 
my love of books, right, goes all the way back to, you know, my childhood. But the crazy thing is, Miss Lane used to badger me about doing a book. And I kept saying, Miss Lane, why? She goes, you need to do a book. You need, I said, why? And I kept just pushing back. And she said, well, there's another you out there that needs to know it's possible. You need to write the book for that person. And that made me pause because I had never thought about it that way. I was thinking about it in a more, you know, expected way. Oh, well, I'll write a book, make some money off of that. Da, 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 da. And then she gave me the intention around it. And so I said, okay, I'm down for that. So I said, but I'm not going to make a book like anybody else. I don't want to do it. And someone asked me the other day about like, so how did that happen that you end up getting this book deal with ESPN and Disney? And I said, well, actually I got rejected by every publisher when I presented my first book idea. You know, I've got that Nike creative energy in me and everything, right? So I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna put this proposal together. It's gonna wow these publishers. And I put it all together. We send it out. Everybody rejects it. They, and they literally said, your idea is too creative and over-designed. Hmm. And I'm like, what? They said, yeah, dumb it down. They literally said that, dumb it down and we might consider it. And I said, no. I, I connected with my design team. I said, where can we do this on our own? How can we self-publish this? And we self-published it. And we did small batches. We did a batch of 9,000 and a batch of 6,000 got a fulfillment group to help me out. And I did all word of mouth. I did no back table sales from speaking events or anything. And it took off and we sold 11,000 copies in like nine months. I didn't know till later in my career that 8,000 is considered a success in the literary yeah, world. I was going to say, well, in the business nonfiction world. Yeah. Yes. Right. So, yeah. so I was already, and that was self-published. Someone got a copy of my book at ESPN and contacts me, they're starting a books division. And they basically say, we'd like to buy the rights to your book and sign you to a book deal. And wow. I'm like, okay. And so that's what ended up happening. And my authorship, right, my, my writing career started from there. And I've never considered myself a writer, writer, like for like people who do that for a living, I'm so impressed by them. Because that's hard work, man. That's wow. no joke. Yeah. When your words matter every single day, whoo. Yeah. That is, I mean, the, the stress and the pressure around that is, I just can't even imagine. So I've always said, listen, I love words and words matter to me. Speaking is more what I like to do. Writing is hard for me, but I can do it because I love words. But I've always written my books in a way um, that's unique or different and very me. So none of my books will be typical experiences that you'll read. I'm not trying to wow you with my intellect or wax and philosophy in there. I'm more about sharing simple truths and simple lessons and the way that I like to share those things. I think that they have, you know, it's great power in simplicity to me. And it has that evergreen effect. That's what I wanna do with the way that I tell my stories is that they have no shelf life, right? They're just long lasting um, parables or stories or things that you can share. And so I use actually for inspiration, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho is my inspiration because that's an evergreen book. Mm -hmm. And humble brag, I like to say, I got to spend a week with him in Paris when I interviewed him for my third book. So wow. from a Google alert, which you would appreciate you being in the digi world, right? Yeah. So he literally kept getting a Google alert about this American giving his book out at events. And it was me. Oh, wow. Okay. So he contacted me out of the blue because he's going to meet some Nike executives at Davos 
World Economic Forum and wanted to get like some backstory on him. And he thought, well, you worked at Nike. Do you know these guys? And I happen to know all of them. So in exchange, he said, if I ever can do anything for you, I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to work on this book. Could I come interview? He said, if you can be in Paris during this time frame, you will be my guest. So I was Paulo Coelho's guest for a week in Paris. We shot bow and arrow in his house. He has an archery way in his home. Yeah, dude, that was the way he oh got his mind right. And you know, he just dropped this book called The Archer. I didn't know he just that. dropped it. Yes, just dropped it. But I'm like, I know what that's about. Yeah, so wow. I know the rest of the story there. So that's kind of that way that I got into the writing world. And you know, I've done four books now. And But I always say that that's not my my focus every single day, words are my focus every day, right? Mm -hmm. And words matter to me. And so whatever way that I can convey a message to you that can help you navigate uncertainty, upheaval, challenges, things that you might be facing, I wanna help you and assist you with that. And, you know, let's go back to when we first started our conversation today. Now you kind of know why I doubled down on positivity and optimism because it served me well as a child. I could have been a victim easily and no one would have ever begrudged me that look what you came from that's an amazing story. but i chose the other way i'm gonna be a fighter so kevin let me ask you this and joe and i've talked about this a little bit this is an interesting question in modern media and modern communications so we all know that as you said even a successful non-fiction book let's say a self-help well self-help books are kind of a different category from business but whatever like maybe as you said, 8,000 was a, a threshold for success, which is obviously a really limited reach, technically, as opposed to, let's say, something like Twitter or Facebook or even LinkedIn, where someone like you, I assume you're active in other areas, you could conceivably have, not conceivably, you'd have much larger reach, potential impact. So when you said one of the motivations was to try to find other yous, other kids, um, how do you think of that? Because I know that the default historically in terms of trying to convey big ideas and inspiration is through books, but the sad reality is most people aren't reading books as proven by the numbers, whereas people love to go through their feeds day after day, hour after hour. So how are you, how are you managing all that to, to make sure you get it to the broadest audience? So I, I use this term morsels of motivation. Right, so I'm giving you little morsels, little sound bites, little clips, little things. And I'm very intentional on my social media, ball book and betterment. That's all you'll see on my social that I'm posting and sharing. So I'm all about that inspo and sharing that. And what I've discovered, first of all, is this, as Miss Lane said, maybe if you've done it the right way, she told me this, Miss Lane passed away seven years ago at 83. She said to me, maybe you'll get the teacher effect. I said, what's that? Where someone will say, you won't remember me, but you came to my class. My mom met you. You signed this book for me, but so it's happening. And so I started to realize something really powerful now that unbeknownst to me, my reach has been happening because I've stayed on message. I've been very consistent over this ball book and betterment, ball book and betterment. And so using social with a great deal of intention, not just posting for the sake of posting or chasing likes or trying to build fandom or whatever, I've been always about the one that needs to hear this is going to hear this. Yeah. The one that needs to see this is going to see this. The one that needs to read this is going to read this. And I'm going to post in that way. 
And I remember Miss Lane saying, you know, that idea that there's another you out there. So I've always looked at it as one person. I've always looked at that. Someone yeah. actually wrote a thing that, you know, people are chasing these audiences. But what if the audience only needs to be one person? Correct. And so that's the way I approach it. I've always said the right one's in the room. I've even said that at my events. Look, I know there's whatever thousands of you here, but there's one person I'm here for. I know that. If I get more than that one, that's a bonus. But I know there's someone in this room I was supposed to show up for today. So social, I treat the same way. Wow. And I think what I've really been marveling at is this teacher moment. You won't remember me, but you know, someone DMs me or sends me a note or sends a thing through my website. And I'm just like, whoa, I've been gobsmacked by that time and time again, over the last few years, even more so. And so that's let me know that the thing that I've always focused on, reach and impact, reach and impact, reach and impact is happening now, right? Mm -hmm. But I played the long game. I played the long game and I continue to play the long game around that. So I've been, wow. look, I'm the old man, best friend in my neighborhood, right? So I know all the kids and Miss Lane was that way. So I'm literally the 2.0 version of Miss Lane, right? The new iteration of her, right? I've got tech, digital and social to have more reach and impact, but I'm behaving like she did. Her house was the place that anybody could come to. Norman was the kid who invited everyone, but Miss Lane pointed out something to me. She said, but you're the one that stuck. You're the one that kept coming by. Even your brothers didn't keep coming by, you did. All those other boys didn't come by, you did. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's the way I look at it. The kids that are really gonna be connecting to me are gonna keep showing up. They're gonna keep bumping me as they say, right? They're gonna keep reaching out. And your best mentors are busy. If you can get to your mentor really easily all the time, they ain't the one you really wanna get coached up by. They got way too, they should be doing stuff too, right? So that's the other thing, right? Is finding people who are about it, but also make time for you. And that's what Miss Lane was for me. So I'm just trying to carry on her legacy in my own way. It feels Tom, like the, the wisdom of Ms. Lane should be your next book. So I've already, I've already put together, and we're actually talking about maybe doing a board book for kids around the lessons she taught me, right? So these right. simple truths, these simple lessons right. that she taught me. So no, I actually, yeah, it, it really does feel, she was like, you know, my Mr. Rogers, right? In that way, right? Those right. just simple truths and little right. anecdotes and things that just stayed with me. Right. Joe, what hey, you uh, yep, so, so two things. One is, and you talk about the, the value of reconnecting. So Kevin and I refound each other. We'd, we'd seen each other once at Yankee Stadium. Yep. Sometime in the last 15 years when Kevin was, was doing his presentation at an event. Um, and then I was randomly looking through a friend of mine, a guy we had on the podcast that I did myself with Tom Cerny, Q Williams, did a podcast with John Gordon. And I was looking for that podcast. And lo and behold, who pops up two podcasts before it with John Gordon was Kevin Carroll. And I was driving home and I looked at my phone and lo and behold, because I never delete any numbers, Kevin's email is in my phone. I sent him an email and we talked as I was driving and this was in October. And, you know, we've reconnected off of that. And, and you know, it's something that I've always followed where he is and didn't even realize that I was following him, but always knew the story. And what he just touched on when I told, there's a friend of mine, Karen Buchholz, who worked for the Knicks and three or four other people, Harry Baxt. And every time I say Kevin Carroll, like, I know him, he impacted me here. So the impact that he has in lives goes way beyond 
just the ones in the room that you find out about, which is the beauty of the business that we're in, because it's all about showing up and the relationships that you build over time. And Speaking by the way, of- I would say, I would, I'm sorry, just let me just say one point, because I, I, I thought your um, one or two minute um, description of how to best use social media was one of the best mm-hmm. simple pieces of advice I've heard on how to use social media, because this is a big question with people of all ages, especially students, younger people trying to figure out what their quote voice should be, like how do I, and one of the lines I always say, Joe's heard me say this and Tom's heard me say this is, just stick to your knitting, like stick to your knitting. So to your three Bs, I use stick to your knitting, which is an old fashioned expression, which is to say, know what you wanna be communicating and be disciplined about it. And whoever likes it, will like it. And if, if it's not a million people, that's fine. If it's one person, to your point, then it means something. Yeah. And I've been really fortunate to talk to quite a few um, university sports teams during this time, right? Ain't got nowhere to go, ain't got nowhere to be, right? So people were reaching out and I was on this 12 inches over podcast, which was a whole coaching platform. And I reconnected with a bunch of my old friends from Philly basketball. Dawn Staley was one of them, um, mm-hmm. uh, amongst other people. And I talk, actually, that was one of the things that student athletes asked was, what do I put out there? How do I actually manage that? Mm-hmm. And I talked about the, exactly what you said, know what you stand for and why, and stay disciplined around that and stop looking for likes. Mm-hmm. Because if you are putting out consistently this, the messages that matter to you, you're going to hit the right audience. But if you're chasing that blue check, as we know, right, that blue check on IG, if you're chasing that or on Twitter or whatever, guess what? Then no one's going to know what you stand for. And no one's going to know what you are willing to fall for. Yeah. They're not going to know. You're just chasing these audiences because I just want to keep building up my fandom. Right. So when I told this to these student athletes, I remember watching them pause Dawn's team, especially, and they were like, well, well, and the question was, well, then that takes time. I said, exactly. Yeah. It takes time and you have to be willing to put in the time and energy around that. You're busy. You're a student athlete. You're in school. So you shouldn't have enough time to be sitting there like, well, I'm, I'm posting, 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 and you're feeding the beast. That's telling me, right, that you ain't do, you ain't got your head in your books or you ain't doing, something's not. Right, if you got time to keep feeding the beast, because those people who are doing that have a team of people doing that for them. Yep. You ain't got no team that way. <laughs> so if you find enough time to do that, you're, you got some late nights with all that, right? Which is stealing from other things you're trying to manifest. Mm-hmm. Listen, be, I love that, you know, stick to your knitting, right? What is the fabric of you is what I actually took from when you said that, what makes up you. And I think that's important. And as soon as you have that clarity, you're, you're, you're not going to be worried about, is this the right thing I'm putting out there? No, you'll know it is the right thing. Have you ever been a teacher? Yes, absolutely. But I consider myself a teacher, right? right. Well, I, say I, have a, yeah. I say I, I have a classroom with no walls. Right. right. That neither do we. Wherever, right. Right. Honestly. Right. right. No, that, that's yeah. the whole key. Right? right. Right. Is a classroom with no walls. Right. Wherever it is, that's where it is. Right. If I'm there, then there's going to be some, you know, elevation of discourse and conversation. Right. And hopefully I leave you better. 
And that's always, you know, or leave you with something, an assignment, and then check back in. But yeah, I was a formerly a teacher, right, in a traditional sense, when I was at the Haverford School and Episcopal Academy. And, but I've always been, you know, doing that. And in some of my consulting, I actually have been doing conducting workshops and things for creatives and students at SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design is like a place I go to regularly and do workshops. So I love being on stage, if you will, but I don't bring that tenured professor energy, right? That you're lucky I'm here. I'm kind of a big deal. You're welcome. I'm out, right? I'm more like, how can kind I of the way, Kind of the way Joe is, right? Yeah, you know, Joe's got a little bit of that. <laughs> He's got a little bit of that energy. <laughs> well, no, but I Joe's, think it's important. Joe's been doing it a long time. Yeah, he should yes. be tenured. Yeah, uh, but generosity, no, but no, right? But, but you yes. make a good point in that it's not just about, quote, having a class, you know, where maybe you have 20 or 30 people. It's kind of having the attitude with however you're communicating, whether that's in a public presentation, a consulting uh, a relationship or whatever, where you're kind of playing the same game, which is just to try to process information, offer perspectives that help people think uh, or think better, uh, and then see where it goes from there. So in a way, your classroom without walls is a, is a, more, is a better manifestation of this than the traditional uh, scenario that we're used to. Yeah, when, when people have said to me, oh, you're an inspirational speaker, I say, I'm not quite sure because I might enrage you. Right. You might get real upset that you've been wasting some time, right? And like, what have I been doing? So I said, let's just wait and see. That's always my attitude, I say. Let's just wait and see because you're going to determine what my words have actually evoked in you. Because mm -hmm. I've never been presumptuous to say I'm going to inspire you. Joe, would it be okay to uh, pivot a little bit into a topic that I'd love to cover because um, Kevin referenced it, but it would be interesting, especially at this juncture of no. 2020, to talk about um, <laughs> what, what's going on in terms of the, the social justice movements in sports. It sounds like you've touched on that with a lot of your work and, and your writing. Um, you live in Portland, which I was obviously quite interesting. I don't think we've ever heard as much about Portland, Oregon as we have in the last 10 months. Um, give us your perspective on things, if you would, um, with with kind of, we, I, I think it's fair to say that your optimistic, positive attitude is kind of um, infectious, uh, but also you are juxtaposing, as I said earlier, against some really tough stuff going on right now, and I'm sure you're in some consulting relationships or advisory relationships where there's some really heavy, big issues to be dealt with. And you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not oh, yeah. quite as easy as some good oh, no, positive no. thinking. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Look, dude, I'm, I'm not about the Pollyanna. That's not my right. thing. It's not Pollyanna positivity. I'm a pragmatic person around this. And, you know, a lot of people have contacted me during this time, you know, looking for some sage advice from their Black friend, whatever it might be. I don't know. And wait, so my, my comeback is always, I'm not your Morgan Freeman. I'm not here to Shawshank you. <laughs> So let's just level set that expectation when we have this conversation. And John Gordon, actually, he has that. We actually literally had that conversation because he was contacting me. He was ready to do a tweet storm, right? Like he was upset about stuff. And I'm like, John, dude, you're the energy bus guy. You can't be like doing that. And we, I talked him off the ledge. So that really kind of solidified our friendship. But I've had lots of conversations like that during this time. And one of the questions people have asked me consistently do you think this is the moment? So we talked about a little bit earlier before we started actually recording the podcast, men of a certain age. So we're men of a certain age. 
And I can honestly say I've witnessed a lot of things in my lifetime. This is a unique moment, but it is not the moment. It is much more unique and special and loud than any other I've ever witnessed, but it is not the moment because you continually get reminded it ain't enough. So I bring a practical, pragmatic approach to this. I tell people the work will never be done. That's my belief. It's never going to be done. It's always going to be continual. And I think we need to be coaching up this younger generation because they're going to be the ones who could literally have the effect because these kids are different. Oh my gosh, they are so different because they've had access to so much, right? This I generation, whatever you want to call them, Gen Z, what, they're amazing. And so what I think is going to happen, quite honestly, is I'm putting in my energy to help them. I think they could potentially be the next greatest generation. I think these kids are special. So how can I help you navigate, raise your game, educate you, be that resource for you? Because I think you're the ones. So I'm looking at these kids in my neighborhood, kids that I get to meet, my you know nephews, nieces, all these people that I meet, I'm giving them as much of me as possible. I, I've decided I'm a servant leader on your behalf. Look, the older folks, I'm not putting all my energy towards you. I'm not, I decided that. I said, you all, listen, you're not gonna change, change it, but they could. So mm -hmm. I wanna help them. So I don't believe this is this, a watershed moment. It's that it's going to sweep away all the ills. No, I believe it is a very unique moment. I think it is louder than any we've ever had because you've got others besides BIPOC people joining in this. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really profound, but mm -hmm. no, it's not done. But if we all lean into that generation coming up behind Gen Z, and I think if we coach them up, we got a fighting chance. So in the spirit of John Lewis, I'm going to keep getting in good trouble. That's my thing. Mm -hmm. Good trouble, necessary trouble on the daily. Kevin, how can the sports business do better than it is? Because we, we, do, we do know that improvements are needed in most places. What, what practically could they be doing? At, uh, acknowledging your, your critical point, which I think is, is spot on, which is, yeah, it's not like this stops. This is just a, this is a continuum and, and it's gonna keep moving hopefully in the right direction. Uh, the, the arc of justice bending toward, uh, excuse me, the arc of history bending towards justice, as they mm. say, which I do believe is true over time, particularly if you look at the demographic shifts uh, in our country in particular, but, but that still doesn't, solve the problem of what do I do next month, next year, next few years, if I'm an actual leader in the business, whether you're a commissioner, an owner, whatever. Equity and access and opportunity. I think you got to create more of that equity, access for roles and, and things and opportunities. And we need to see these student athletes as more than. Just because they're a student athlete and they spend X amount of hours practicing, preparing for this game day to entertain you, 
they go back to a life that is not all of that. They go back to a home, a community that is not being celebrated that way. And they can't shed that. So the more that we recognize they're more than, I really think that was one of the conversations I had with a couple of the universities, with their student athletes. You're more than, but what are you more than? What is it then? What do you stand for? What do you care about? So how do we actually create more of that? I just, man, we're, we're building these cathedrals and these competitive cauldrons and we're pouring all this money into these um, university resources for these student athletes. And we keep isolating them more and more from the whole community where they could be learning and forming the relationships that really could affect them. You go to an Ivy League school and you're a student athlete and they take you away and house you away from everyone and have you on a strict schedule. Yes, you go to class, but I've talked to student athletes from Ivy League schools. You know what they say to me? Dude, I was about ball. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about that that person in my class could be the next titan of industry. I'm thinking about ball and I said, what a miss. Yep. And now let's just keep growing that opportunity being lost. And maybe that could have been an unlock for that student athlete who didn't know, like me, that I had a latent talent in languages or had a gift in creativity, right? Nike helped me see that. The military, the Air Force helped me see my language thing. I had it in me all the time. So I think about other young people like that that don't know they have a gift or talent mm -hmm. because they've been singularly focused and people have been telling you, this is what you are. Yeah. And the vast majority of them are not going to make their living at it. That's They're the not. sad reality. But yeah. my gosh, what is college supposed to be? College is about building relationships for a lifetime. The friendships that you create in college are people that you end up staying connected and building things with. But if I isolate you, especially in power fives, those kids get cheated. Mm -hmm. And then they all have these regrets when they look back. Man, I should have. Yeah, but it's all set up against you. So how do we start helping them advocate for themselves more? I told all these coaches, true fact, that kid that's coming back to you after going through the summer, right? Our our what what would be our Arab Spring, right? If you will, right? <laughs> when they come back to you, that's not the same kid. Yep. Do not treat them the same way because they're not afraid of you anymore. And these coaches looked at me like, well, I, don't, I just need to love them up. I'm like, come on, are you kidding me? They've been through some stuff. So you need to meet them where they are. So equity, access, opportunity starts with their coaches relinquishing some of that and letting those kids experience true college. I just think it's so important for them because those kids could be joining forces with other students and really creating change. Mm -hmm. And so the sports industry, if we really actually educate these kids in the right way and they discover their talents and gifts beyond ball, they could be entering into the sports industry as leaders and, and next leadership and have more representation so that they're modeling for other kids. But that's what's happening. They're never getting a chance to discover what they really could potentially be. Hey, Sorry, I, I got on my I got on my bully pulpit a bit there. So that's all right. okay. but, that leads us to 
the last question that I had, Tom, before we get to our last two mm -hmm. questions and explaining the interrobang, but um, you, there are a couple of young people, especially that you've been mentoring, um, who've done some amazing things and, and are becoming writers and creators. Tell us a, a couple of those quick stories about some of the ones who are high on your list who you think are going to be part of that generation. So, well, it's funny, Harry Basque, right, that was in your class. Harry and I met because he was doing, you know, this sport for social change work yeah. and was basically a matchmaker. He was getting people connected that way. And Harry and I met a decade ago or more. And I just thought that he was a really unique young man in the way he was thinking. And he was young in the game. So to reconnect with him, but I've been watching what he's been doing, but we had some real amazing conversations around his hopes, his dreams, his aspirations. So Harry's a great example of that. And you know, what's so funny, um, I'm always so good about not just name dropping or, you know, flexing that way or, or talking about people, but you know, I, there's people that I've met from when they were zeros trying to be ones. And so we've talked about Kobe right? And, and that connection to him, where I met him when he was 13 years old. And literally, I tell people that Kobe was a zero trying to be a one. Yep. He was not special. He didn't score a point in summer league basketball in Sunny Hill League, the summer he came from Italy back to Philly. And that set in motion this I'll show you attitude with him. And so one of the things that I thought was really wonderful about our connection. I never wanted anything from him. I didn't think that there was some way of leveraging this kid. I was just available because I knew his father. And he would come to St. Joe's. We would help out with his injuries. I'd help out with his teammates. And to watch him grow into what he grew into, the thing that I loved about our relationship, anytime I ran into him from when I was with the Sixers to Nike to when I've been on my own, right? Leading up to 2018, when I interviewed him, he never changed with me. And Al Lumpkin, who's a longtime 76ers uh, staff member, said to me, he's always the rookie with you. He's always that high school kid with you. And he said, because you never asked for anything from him. And I never wanted anything from him. I just wanted him to be the best. And so in many ways, I was like what Miss Lane was. And what Mr. Rogers says, right? That there are people in your life who want nothing but the best for you. And so I think that was really amazing, that relationship long time. And then my son's best friend, 23 years ago, 13, which seems like a magical kind of time to meet a kid, right? That transition from middle school going into high school, eighth grade to ninth grade. I meet Jelani Memory. When he's 13, my son rides his bike down the corner, comes back 15 minutes later with this kid. And Jelani has been in my life for 23 years. And Jelani is a brilliant young man, creative, athletic, right? And just this wonderful servant leader. But when I met him, he was quirky and different. And I just liked him. I just thought he was fun. And little did I know that he would grow into this really just brilliant thinker. Starts a tech company, raises $30 million, ends up partnering with Disney. His um, product is called Circle with Disney. Look it up. It's brilliant. It actually manages screen time in your house. And then Jelani leaves that to start his own publishing company. Let's go back to the whole book thing. Yep. And he invites me to be the first author he works with. He starts a business called A Kid's Book About. And the first book he did was A Kid's Book About Racism in response to his stepson asking, what's racism? 
He did uh, basically on-demand publishing, designed this thing, presents it to me and says, what do you think? I said, that's brilliant. He says, yeah, I think I'm going to do a publishing company. I'm going to leave Circle and start this. Would you be the first author we work with? Because we want to work through how we workshop this. I said, absolutely. Fast forward, he launched it October of 2019. Fast forward, Oprah picked it as one of the faves this year. Wow. And so I actually always keep this nearby. So this is my book a kid's book about belonging. So that's the second book in the series. But this is my favorite one. It's not even my book. Is a kid's book about optimism. Nice. By Meyer Kay. But there's creativity. So these are the things I rep, right? I love the graphic. The the graphic design is awesome. It's brilliant, right? Yeah. Simple, clean. That's Jelani. That's him. But the other thing that I've recognized about him and others I've met like him is they just need someone to lovingly shove them towards their destiny, but hold them accountable. And so I think Kobe is that same way, right? Availing to him things, but you got to handle that. Jelani is the same way, right? You got to figure that out. I'm not going to hold your hand through the whole process. And I think that's what we have to be teaching this next gen is that I'm not gonna hold your hand through it, but I will encourage you, but I'm also gonna hold you accountable. You mess around and ask me, oh, I'm gonna send you a text. I'm gonna send you a DM, what's going on with that? If I don't hear from you, as Miss Lane would say, I know you ain't doing what you said you are gonna be doing because you're avoiding me. If you're about it, you're sending me updates without me inquiring. So that's what I look for. And then I shed the ones that are just talking. Right? I'm gonna ghost you. I'm gonna go, nah, I ain't gonna, nah. You better give me a real good update for me to reconnect with you. And I think, Joe, that's what I've discovered about the work I've been called to do in the role that I'm serving. And I keep going back to, I'm this wonderful collision between Miss Lane and Mr. Rogers, right? I think that's what I, that's how I, if someone wanted me to describe me, right? Miss Lane, right? And Mr. Rogers, right? That Mr. Rogers had amazing reach and impact. And Miss Lane was very personal, right? And very connected and you could get to her. And I wanna feel like you can get to me. Yeah, it might feel like I'm not really there available, but my access, people are always surprised like how I respond. Like, whoa, I didn't expect to hear from you. Well, you reached out, we're cool. So I'm gonna hit you. (laughs) I thought your person was going, I said, I'm the person. I ain't got no peoples. I'm an army of one, dude. Come on. <laughs> That's how we do it. Oh, my God. This is brilliant. Tom, um, do you want to jump through the screen right now? I mean, how do you feel? Man, I, I'm ready to join your army, man. Yeah. That's what's I, up. I, I think That's we got to get you a cardigan sweater that you put on at some point during Yes. The- oh, yes. I have those. I have those as part as oh part God. of my repertoire. When I right. My sartorial splendor is no joke, dude. I'm coming through. I'm coming All through right. with, some, with some heat that way, yeah. too. That that's uh, it's been an issue for people on Zoom in 2020. We oh. don't know how anybody actually really dresses, of course. Um, wow, so amazing, um, Joe. I, I'm sitting here thinking, I want to nominate Kevin to be the keynote speaker for the next available in-person Columbia Sports Conference, the 2027 uh, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I hope you second that nomination. Yeah, yeah that's why um, we're here. Yeah. So you want to uh, you want to wrap us up? I mean, we've covered kind of the advice. Wow think but um you know what and instead of giving overall advice 
Um, I want to ask Kevin to talk about just one one aspect of something that we didn't really touch on, and then uh, we could talk about how he stays up to date and, and tell us what the interrobang is. But yeah. curiosity, talk about the importance of curiosity. Man, me and curiosity are are what I'd say BFFs, right? We are best friends forever, right? I mean, curiosity and I are are hand in hand, and I actively practice that. Um, one of the things that I tell people is be where your feet are, right? And so that's going to help you be more curious and be more present. And so let's just take me walking here today before I was going to be on this with you all. I have a very intentional way that I walk through my neighborhood because it's just five blocks from my house to my office space. And I, I have a ritual with a, a family and their son, E, E is six. We've been conversing since he was three. E and I have been super cool since he was three. E is now using his window as his classroom, right? So he's looking out into the street. E knows my schedule. His father told me this. He says, oh, he mentioned it at dinner the other day. He says, you know, Kevin walks by every morning between nine and 10 and he always waves. I said, we have this exchange every morning. So this morning, their door was open. I saw their dad go in, but I don't yell to them like, you know, as I'm going down. E can sense me now. And he just bounds out. Hi, Kevin. I said, E, what's going on? I'm going skiing. I said, oh, that's cool. I said, did you get your schoolwork done? He says, I'm getting ready to actually study my two books in Vietnamese before I go. I said, you can't go skiing without that learning. And he started laughing. He says, I know, I know. You're always about that. He said, that's what you talk about all the time. And then he starts citing things that I've shared with them. And so what I started to realize is, and his parents said, you saw our son, like you see him. You're not a family member. We so appreciate you letting him know there are other people who see him besides family, that is so invaluable to him to know that he matters and that other people see him. And we've had this relationship for three, I literally thought he was six when I started the conversations with them. He was only three. And now his little sister Golda is down with me because she's modeling her brother. But I won't have that connection with him if I had earbuds in, if I'm on my phone. So when I walk home, I'm never on my phone. I never have earbuds in. I wanna be woke and ready and aware because of those kinds of chance meetings. It's become so positive between us. Their family, the mom said, they will circle the block if they happen to see me and I didn't see them to say hello in the car. They see me walking home. So curiosity, is what I think is one of my superpowers. I really do believe that. And I've learned that through all these years of showing up and being as present as possible and being open to possibilities. I actively practice one day looking up per week rather than looking down at a screen and looking at the big screen called life, right? Where everything's in HD and 3D, by the way, I remind people, right? So look up every once in a while, shift your gaze, change your perspectives. So I actively practice that. And that keeps my curiosity muscle strong. And so that's one of the things. And then I have my Google alerts. So that's the other thing that I set up to keep me curious about the things I care about, ball book and betterment. And then I can get more specific around things, but Google will search for you. Just set up your alerts on Google. And literally you get a daily digest 
they curate for you on what you care about. There's no excuse not to be immersed and connected to the things you care about. When someone, a, an entity will actively search for you and you don't got to sit there scrolling and you're getting that daily. So that's the things that have helped me stay curious. Great. Incredible. Last one, Tom. Go ahead. Wow. Um, yeah, you've kind of touched on this, Kevin, but we ask all our guests how they stay smart. So you obviously are, because of your different roles as a um, consultant, a speaker, a writer, et cetera, you obviously, and, and your, the level of curiosity, which is off the charts, you just kind of answered the question about how you curate information through Google alerts and stuff like that. But is there anything specific in terms of information consumption in the way of specific podcasts or newsletters, uh, business books, or even novels um, that you might want to talk about or just mention at least? So I read The Alchemist regularly. So every other year I reread it. So wow. that just keeps me um, grounded, always thinking about personal legend, um, staying present, signs and symbols, but I also get something new out of it because where I'm at in my life. So I've been rereading that for at least two decades now for 20 years plus. So that's one thing. I think just, you know, being raised by grandparents, I skip a generation of values. And so my grandparents, you know, put in me, you know, my, especially my grandfather, you're a zero trying to be a one every day. You start off with a blank canvas every day, right? So check your want to. My grandfather would say, you got to check your want to. You can't do anything with a broke want to. That's what he would always say. How's your want to? And we'd always have to respond, pop up. My want to is good. He said, that's right. Got to want to be better. Got to want to make your ideas real. And I get on out there. So check your want to. That's also a thing that's kept me smart, right? And recognizing that that keeps me humble and hungry. And I just think that one of the things that's really important for me is everybody has a story to tell. I'm curious about your story. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious about your story and I can disarm you with mine. And when you hear mine and the level of transparency and how vulnerable I'll be, and I can do it in three minutes, I can do it in 30, whatever that, um, that basically I think makes other people surrender and feel like they can share. And I've had amazing exchanges with people. And listen, the thing that I think really has kept me smart though, is I'm okay with not being for everybody. When I discovered that, that everybody ain't gotta like me and feel my energy and I'm cool with that, let's just keep it moving. You go do you, I'm gonna keep doing me. And I think that was really important. When everybody asked, what would I tell my younger self? I would tell them, that's why I did the belonging book, that you don't have to belong everywhere. Belong to yourself first, mm -hmm. right? And once I got that, and did the work to get there as Miss Lane challenged me to figure that out and to do that work. That was my unlock, dude. That was my cheat code. That was the thing that made me like, I'm flying my freak flag every day. I ain't worried about y'all no more. Look, look, if you ain't feeling me, you ain't feeling me. Because I know somebody does. So it's okay. And I think that's what people have to recognize. So that keeps me smart is understanding that I'm okay with not being okay with you. It's okay. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to continue to show up because I know there's someone out there that needs to hear from me. I know there's someone out there that 
that needs that encouragement. I know that someone needs that pragmatic approach to positivity and optimism. I'm not Pollyanna. I keep telling people that. There are days that I struggle, but I ain't gonna struggle all day. No, dude. I'm not gonna struggle all day. I might have a bit of a struggle, but I ain't struggling all day. Nope, I will not allow that. I'm not going into victim mentality. I'm not, that's not my mindset. And I think that's allowed me to stay smart. Awesome. So we have to wrap this up with answering the question where we started. So you will see if you look at the picture that we put up or you go to Kevin's website, which you should tell people where, where they can find more about you. Tell us what the interrobang is and then we will let you go. So the interrobang, which is the actual grammatical symbol, I have a disjointed one, a separated one, but they usually are intertwined, connected. And so the interrobang, as my friend said, you're a walking human interrobang. I'm like, you think so? He goes, yeah, you use it in your correspondence. He said, but you represent it. So the interrobang represents question, interrogative, intero, and bang, energy. So I bring that curiosity and I bring that heat, that energy. And so I need to show up that way. So that's why I wear that hat. That's why I have it always somewhere around to remind me that I need to reflect and show up and represent that every day. So I'm the human interrobang, as my friend said, right? I'm all about curiosity. I'm all about energy. I'm all about enthusiasm. I'm all about those queries, those things that allow you to be enlightened, right? And elevate you know, the way that you show up as a human being. So the interrobang, that's what's up. Yeah, Joe, Yo, you know Kevin, what's are, going on? Are you, are you selling those hats online? We got to send, have a link, have a link. Yes. Show. Joe has the link. <laughs> it's, it's a special link. Joe yeah. bought the link. He's on team interrobang now. That's nice. what's up. Yeah, but, right. but those are, that, that's a secret handshake. That's the secret handshake. Everybody ain't because I can't have you doing the perp walk with my hat on, dude. No, like, so I can't trust you that way. So, you already have been vetted, Tom. You good. Okay, thank and, you. And Tom C, AKA Tom B, you know what we're talking about. You've been vetted too. You can get one of them too. So Joe can share the link, but I, I ain't sharing that link with everybody. That ain't thing I just put out there. And so there's coffee it, mugs too. Yeah, there's coffee mugs too. Nice. Well, <laughs> and we'll, that's we'll all from my buddy. That's all from my friend who was a Nike designer who literally said, I'm gonna make some hats for you. You to walk in the bang. you should have some. So that's how it happened. All right, we'll trade you some more mundane Columbia swag when we see you in person sometime. There you go. That's, That's what's that. up. That's what's up. I'm all about that. And Kevin, uh, where do they find you? Yeah, where, 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 what should people be checking out if they want to learn more about you personally, the work you're doing, your books, et cetera? I'm sure there's a lot of answers. We'll put those in the show notes, but uh, at, at least on the surface, what's best? Oh, what's it's easy to route? find me. So my handle is KC Catalyst with the K. So K-C-K-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T dot com and at. That's all you need to know. Nice. At KC Catalyst and dot com. That's it. You can find me. Yes. Google yes. me. <laughs> all right. All right. Wow. Wrap us up, Tom. Oh man, how do I wrap this up? I would be happy to continue talking, but I guess we should we should wrap. Uh, Kevin Carroll, thank you so much for sharing your interrobang energy and wisdom. It really was one of the most enjoyable conversations we've had, I would say, Joe. Um, I really admire what you're doing, really admire your attitude. You have, I learned a ton listening to you and really made me rethink about certain things. I, I love that phrase, um, be where your feet are. 
like I, I was starting to feel guilty, Joe, about like walking around uh, sometimes often in the city with my with my uh, uh, Beats by Dre, my ear, like not looking to engage with anybody. I mean, which is the way most people are. But you're absolutely right. Like those small chance encounters, which can happen anywhere, can really mean something. So thanks for inspiring me uh, on at least a couple of things there. Um, but anyway, guys, I really would encourage you to check out Kevin's stuff, check out his books. Um, and Joe, I'm really, I'm serious about uh, this thought of getting Kevin to campus, assuming he's willing and interested. We'll get him there. Um, I would love to have you, I mean, I, I'm gonna, we'll share this podcast with as many people as we possibly can. And I expect with your following, we're gonna have millions and millions of listeners of this, but um, I really uh, think your kind of crossover um, inspiration of the business of sports and media creativity, et cetera, along with kind of the philosophy, it's really powerful, uh, really good. And I think more people should hear it, at least more people I know. Uh, so, I, so, so here's a one thing, little known thing, Daryl Homer, who's on the USA fencing team, trains at Columbia. Yep. Black guy from the Bronx, yep. silver medalist from Rio. I've been his get your mind right coach since Rio. So I, wow. I incur, I'm one of his encouragers. So I've been on your campus. So oh, the nice. fact that you, okay. so the fact that you're in Harlem, you know, I'm about that. And yeah. Miss Lane is from Harlem. Oh, wow. Okay. What, you know, what street or what area, what part? Oh, don't get me to lying now. So okay. you'll, you'll have me lying now, but she, that's where she grew up until her family moved down to Philly. Right. And Joe, one more dot connection that Kevin would appreciate is Kevin, we just had the, the incredibly successful and interesting fencing coach of Columbia who must know your friend. Oh, absolutely. On the show, literally like a month ago. He was coaching. Oh, that's so cool. Awesome yes. guys. He turned the Columbia program into a, a losing program into one of the most successful programs in the country for fencing. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, oh no, I didn't. But I've been down. I've been down in their training. Yeah, area. down in the basement. I've, I've, right? Yeah, down in the basement. Yeah, in the athletic yeah. center there. Yep, I've actually been wow. there. And I was one of the first speakers for TEDx Harlem. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, God, so let's we do could, that. Let's do yeah, that for sure. As soon as as soon as we get the uh, the all clear sign from New York City and you, you come to town, we'll, we'll work something out. Uh, but Kevin, thank you so much on behalf of Columbia. Uh, really wonderful to have you, wish you well uh, during the holiday season and uh, to you know wish that you have a prosperous and healthy uh, 2021. And I wish that for everybody, but uh, you deserve it. Um, so thank you for sharing everything with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Grit, grace, and Godspeed. That's how I always yeah. give it off to you, right? So I wish nice. you all grit. Well, that's the best ending we could hope for. Grace and Godspeed to all. Yeah. Happy holidays. We'll see everybody on the next episode of The Custer. Thanks for listening. Wow. I'm like... We are not worried. What did I say? <laughs> <laughs>